passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to a very special edition of the Gaming Sports Game Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin. I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick for UVA Football Game Week, a big week for the Dukes. I'm so excited. We haven't had a UVA Game Week since I've been alive. 1983, the last one. Just, just missed me by a few years, but I'm so excited. What we saw out of Bucknell, we will dive into because I'm really excited to just kind of get everything off of our chest about what we saw on Saturday evening. But more importantly, I'm so excited to talk about UVA Game Week. We have two awesome guests coming on today's podcast to talk overall big picture in Virginia football and a little bit more, um, get into a little bit of the minutia of what UVA brings to the table. We talked with Greg kind of big picture about that team. We can dive into a little bit more uh, exact things, a little bit more um, in depth on certain pieces maybe how the defensive line will play out, maybe how their wide receivers will go, if they can even get the ball to their wide receivers, who even is their quarterback at this point. But man, it is a great episode on tap. We're excited, and we'll we'll certainly go through our housekeeping here first. Three Notch, big week for Three Notch, Jack. In Harrisonburg, they've got Minuteman Mondays, which we love, right? The $3 pours. Tuesdays, you're getting half off. Cases at the Valley Collab House, which is just an absurd deal. And then, of course, on Fridays... The first tap Friday where Three Notch, the Harrisonburg location, has a new brew on a weekly basis. But a big week because Three Notch has locations in both Harrisonburg and Charlottesville. And Richmond, which is where I am right now. And I'm able to enjoy a very fresh Three Notch. One of the best parts about coming to Richmond. Don't tell Eva I said that. Um, But, (laughs) no, it's going to be a great week. Maybe we'll find our way over to the Charlottesville location. We'll see. Probably depends on on how that game goes overall. I think if we lose, I may just go back to the Airbnb and uh, sit in darkness, um, do a little Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat. But it should be a great week regardless. And along with that, as I'm finicking with some chords, apologies on there. And along with a big week for Three Notch, it's a big week for Bet Online. It is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, college football, professional football, so much more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, all available to play right from your phone. The Dukes minus seven this weekend. They are seven point favorites to beat UVA over on Bet Online. That means the Dukes have to win by more than a touchdown. That seven is a very tricky number. 
uh, but they are seven-point favorites this weekend on BetOnline. So head to BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up and get in on the action. Use promo code BELIEVE, that's promo code B-L-E-A-V, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your for- first deposit. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. And where marriages start. There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we. Weir's Cave. Weir's Cave, baby. Harrisonburg and Weir's Cave. That's where you can check out Christopher William Jewelers, an awesome sponsor for this 2023 JMU football season. And our first guest is going to be joining us in around seven-ish minutes or so. Um, So what do you want to talk about before we bring on our first guest of the night? Because there's only a few things because I may ramble for a really long time. Yeah, we can start with some and get back to some if we need to. I think the major storyline from JMU Bucknell, right, a 38-3 to win early in the game, near interception for Chauncey Logan. People can't stop talking about what that would have meant. No, Alonzo Barnett starts the game at quarterback, doesn't finish the game, um, not due to like a blowout win where he plays great, right? Jordan McLeod replaces him as he got benched, which I think is um, a bit shocking, honestly. Yeah, and McLeod came in and played much better for, quote, a significant gap between Alonzo Barnett and Jordan McLeod throughout the fall camp. You wouldn't expect the stats that you see up on the screen right now. Barnett went 3 for 11, 15 yards. He did rush for a touchdown, so I don't want to take that away from him. But he did throw a very questionable interception um, on the very first drive of the game. Also, those three completions, two of them came kind of back-to-back on easy pickup plays. Um, so didn't really string anything else together. So you kind of take, I know you don't want to take out the back-to-back completions, but those were like boom, boom. And you thought maybe he got something going and then it all just kind of wheels came off from there. McLeod on the other side went seven, four, 11, 144 yards in just four drives, two passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. And on that fourth drive that they didn't score a touchdown on, maybe I'm too high on the Jordan McLeod hype train. There were like a three just free blitzers that came and yeah. mauled him like the second he got the snap. And that's what kind of threw off the entire schedule. But I do want to say this. I was wrong. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm back aboard the Jordan McLeod hype train. I was going to buy a conductor hat on Amazon, but I decided against it. But imagine the three notched hat I'm wearing right now is a conductor hat because I'm back leading the Jordan McLeod hype train Sunbelt offensive player of the year. Here he comes. I should have never gotten off. I'm all in baby. And Jordan McLeod is officially the starter for the Virginia game. Which Thank I think you. Is, I left is, that out. <laughs> is the craziest part of the whole thing, right? As Barnett earns the starting job. By a significant loses, gap. Loses it against Bucknell, which is, Somewhat hard to do. We're not going to rag on it, but like a poor performance. Um, McLeod comes in, earns the job. He's going to start against Virginia. What are kind of your expectations for him in that game? Do you feel comfortable with the passing attack? Certainly he looks good, right? The 57-yard touchdown deep ball to Reggie Brown on a third and 15. Perfectly thrown. 
I mean, do you feel confident sort of yes. in the passing game getting going this weekend? Yeah, I would be a lot more confident in it if Jordan McLeod started game one um, and he started against Barnett. We saw him maybe for an entire half rather than – I also would have been more confident if if Signetti – well, I just kind of completely sounded like a broken record. If, if Signetti left him in to finish out the second half instead of putting Griffiths in for like the final three drives and just kind of yeah. letting McLeod maybe find a rhythm, maybe – get more into it, get some more snaps, get some more experience with the team. But but that being said, I feel fairly comfortable. He's extremely shifty. He's extremely elusive. He's going to need that type of ability against the UVA defensive line. And I mean, that post to Reggie Brown was absolutely beautiful. Maybe I'm reading too much into one play, but I feel confident. I feel comfortable in Jordan McLeod as this team's two, QB1, at least for the next month and a half. Yeah, Signetti's post-game comments were very candid. Very candid. Um, to both Dave Riggert and then in the, the full press conference. It, it was just kind of a shocking performance from Barnett. McLeod, I thought, looked decent, but Signetti said he missed some, either some throws or some reads where if he'd stayed in the pocket on one or two, uh, he could have had a touchdown. But he also told Dave Riggert, at that point, I would have taken two of three. Essentially, like... Like if there are three easy plays and you make two of the three, that was an improvement on what the first half looked like. Yeah. I'm pretty worried about the passing game. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I'm, I'm worried about the fact that like they have a quarterback change after one week against a bad FCS team. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to throw a take that you threw at me back at you. Okay. What if Signetti's not a good quarterback evaluator? I think he's a great, yeah. So I think, right. I think he's a great quarterback developer. But some of his evaluating has me maybe a little concerned where like Todd Santeo worked out great. They tried to get Gunnar Holmberg, who did not have a great college career uh, prior to Santeo. And there was like an academic thing, right? Like a transfer. Yeah. Something didn't transfer over or whatever. So he ended up not coming to JMU that gets Santeo instead. I don't know if it goes differently the other way. There was obviously where like Gage Maloney at one point came in for Cole Johnson. There's been a lot of like interesting things in terms of picking the guy uh, but development wise he's been phenomenal so I, I kind of like McLeod with his experience going in this game but I, I'm a little bit worried about just the overall passing game after the Bucknell performance and then also like Reggie Brown I thought looked good I got a lot of questions about the other receivers and yeah, is Tashi Hudson hurt sounded like his foot's been bothering him from what Kurt Zignetti said post game um, and we had we had Daniel Merriman there, right? So I'm not relying too much on anyone else for that. Um, that was that was something that that came out. So he's a little bit banged up. I thought Surratt or Surratt, Elijah Surratt, right? Josh, Josh's brother. Jeez. I thought he flashed. I thought he looked pretty good. Maxwell two, Moss, sorry, Maxwell Moss looked good, right? He had a touchdown. But at the same time, it's like it's so hard when you don't see him get a chance to to make a lot of plays. I think that's the thing. We're sitting here worried about the the passing situation, the passing attack. There was no passing attack for a half and two drives. Like, so you're really going off of 25 minutes of game time. So the the reps are limited. The opportunities are limited. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would feel a lot more confident if we were sitting here and it wasn't, you know, Jordan McLeod only had four drives. It, It does kind of worry me that like, Maybe he had a flash in a pan. He was really good for those four drives. And in an entire game, it might be a little bit different. But it looked like he's a straight baller. Like, from what Signetti said, from all the comments, 
it seems like Jordan McLeod plays better in the brightest spots. That does seem true. The other part that that alarms me a significant amount is that they said Barnett took first team reps from early on camp. Yes. You're telling me you're going into the UVA game with a guy who took second team reps all camp. That's frustrating because it like, feels super avoidable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Especially when you had a quote-unquote QB competition. Right. It's, it's just surprising to be like, yeah, we played Bucknell and realized like, this wasn't going to work. Um, I also still kind of think Alonzo Barnett's pretty good, which we'll get into probably a little bit later. But Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, we'll also get into Signetti treating Bucknell as just a third yes. scrimmage. We'll get into the amazing work Daniel Merriman did for us as well. But before all of that, we are joined by David Teal of the Richmond Times-Dispatch talking some big picture Virginia football. David Teal, 14-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year and Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. But if you looked at his bio on the Richmond Times-Dispatch, it just says sports writer. A little humble. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks so much for for joining us. We're excited to have you to talk a little JMU UVA and big picture. And I was curious, David, your perspective, you attended JMU, um, what it sort of means for, for JMU fans, UVA fans to have this matchup back after, you know, four decades. Well, for, for JMU, like you mentioned, Bennett, 40 years in, in the making. And it's interesting. I, I talked to Jeff Bourne a couple of weeks ago about the difficulty he has in scheduling power five opponents, even on the road. The Dukes have become prisoners of their own success. And last season's eight and three debut at the FBS level did not help his cause because <laughs> folks don't want to play him and they certainly don't want to come to Harrison. Yeah. Disappointing for JMU fans, but, but <laughs> that certainly makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and what does it mean heading into this, this game? Big, huge picture. We're going to take kind of the universe view of this looking down. JMU UVA, what does this mean for Virginia football, collegiate football in Virginia, and how JMU may be able to schedule moving forward? Well, I think it's it's a it's a large game uh, for for both programs. I mean, gosh, what is it, fifty some miles uh, <laughs> o- over the mountain, and it's a game that I would hope would be played more frequently. Uh, that's up to Carla Williams and, and, and Jeff to, to get straight, and I'm sure the coaches would have to say, but it's a risky game for UVA. I mean, here, here they are, you know, struggling, and Tony Elliott's trying to get his, his legs underneath him with, with a, you know, his program in his second year, and here comes a very ambitious, very accomplished Sunbelt Conference program. It's, you know, it's a it's a tough needle to thread for UVA. And then, of course, guys, you add the just immeasurable emotions that accompany Saturday and the first game at Scott Stadium since November. What are you expecting from that in terms of, of the emotions from what you've heard from the Virginia players and coaches in terms of how to how they'll they'll manage that in terms of obviously going through the pregame ceremony, all that, and then also wanting to win a football game. Bennett, it's a it's a fascinating question. And one I thought Tony Elliott addressed rather deftly yesterday, talking about 
different buckets and you put some of your energy into this bucket, which is the ceremony. And then it's, it's essentially compartmentalizing and easier said than done. I would think I've never tried number one, I was a terrible athlete, but I, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine performing in front of 50,000 plus people given all the pathos that will be, I would think, overwhelming on Saturday. It's, um, and, and I think it's completely unpredictable. In many regards, I think it could be inspirational. In others, I think it could be paralyzing almost. Yeah, so with that game on Saturday, if JMU wins, how can that impact kind of the landscape? And if UVA wins, does that just return things to the status quo? Or how does this game kind of shake things up across the state? Well, guys, if, if you go back to JMU's other Power Five conquest of, <laughs> of Virginia Tech, that turned out to be, by JMU standards, almost a terrible season, yeah. yes. right? I mean, how crazy is that? <laughs> you know, and, and a great season for Virginia Tech. Right. The Hokies then run the table all the way to the Orange Bowl against Andrew Luck and Stanford, <clears throat> win the ACC, and JMU doesn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> it, 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 it's crazy. So, you know, we, we do want to look at it from 10,000 feet. But I'm not sure what a JMU victory would mean just in terms of the rest of the season. You know, how would they then, you know, they got to follow this up. They got to go to Utah State and then they have to go to Troy, which may be their most difficult game of the season. You're talking about the reigning conference champions. Yeah. And then you welcome in South Alabama. It doesn't get much easier after that. And yeah. arguably the Sunbelt, what? Yeah, it, yeah, that is an insane gauntlet. And it could, this could end up being, not to step on Bennett's toes before he's about to ask a question, but this could end up being a win for JMU and then go on to be maybe a, a season to forget outside of the UVA win, kind of like men's basketball a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that men's basketball win was, was quickly dampened. <laughs> yeah. The CAA ruling and, and sort of a tough conference schedule there didn't make that that easy at all. Yeah, I was curious too from from UVA's view. I've heard some fans that have maybe not not a make or break game, uh, but a tough schedule for them after this one with Maryland the following week, and then Brennan Armstrong returns uh, with NC State. Is this sort of a game where if you're Virginia, it's it's one of the maybe the handful that you really think you can get. Bennett, I think so. You know, if if the Cavaliers were to lose Saturday, you know, 0-4 looks, if not likely, certainly very possible. And then you just fear it gets away from you completely and the loss of confidence. And guys, we haven't even talked about the injury factor. I mean, where, where is Virginia with Tony Musket in that left shoulder and does Chico Bennett make it back to bring that rush off the edge? You know, those are two 
very large questions that we don't have an answer to and may not have until just before kickoff. Yeah, that's, those are big ones for sure. <laughs> and on Saturday, I don't know if you kind of have a, an expectation of how that stadium will fill out. I know JMU fans expect a large JMU contingent to make that 50-some-odd-mile John over, over the mountain um, you know, contingencies in Northern Virginia, Richmond, all planning to make that trek to Scott Stadium. Do you expect it to be a rather JMU-leaning crowd? Is there kind of any expectation from you in terms of what the crowd makeup will be? I don't know that I would go that far in terms of JMU-leaning. And and I think Virginia folks will, will turn out as well. It's a tricky spot, though, if you're the visiting fan, right? Yeah. No, yeah. given yes. given everything yes. that, that's going on, and I thought Jeff Bourne did a really sharp job today with his message to the Dukes fan base about, yes, we need you in the stands. Yes, we need you rooting for us. But we really need to respect what's going on. And, you know, my understanding is there'll be a lot of orange ribbons even on the purple gear from JMU fans, which is absolutely appropriate and I think very kind. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think the the game's exciting for everyone and obviously there's there's the big picture there with what Virginia went through last year. Switching gears a little bit, I was curious Brent Pry had the offseason comment for Virginia Tech uh, being the flagship <laughs> program in the state. I'm curious how you view, I think when JMU fans look at the flagship uh, school in the state, they might put Liberty and ODU aside and sort of compare themselves to Virginia Tech and Virginia. How do you see those two programs? They've got second-year head coaches, um, I guess, progressing against each other with UVA and Virginia Tech. Does it look like the Hokies are a bit ahead at this point? How's how's Tony Elliott's rebuild going with UVA? It, it does look to me, Bennett, like Virginia Tech is is ahead of Virginia. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that Seven years ago, seven plus years ago, Bronco Mendenhall and Justin Fuente were both first year coaches at those respective schools. And then Mendenhall and Fuente exit simultaneously, replaced by Brent Pry and Tony Elliott. So here both programs have a reboot at the same time. And I think Tech did a better job in the portal over the off season, especially in that receiver room, they they have really upgraded there. It was evident Saturday against Old Dominion. They're a long ways away now. Don't don't get me wrong, but I do believe that they're ahead of UVA at this point. That makes sense. We mentioned that it's it's been a while. I want to say you were at the Breeze. Um, I think either when some of the previous meetings occurred or or right around that time. What do what can you recall, I guess, about those previous JMU and, and UVA meetings and sort of how the, the two programs and fan bases have maybe developed over the last last few decades? Well, they they played after I graduated. Gotcha. If if, if memory serves, because I graduated in eighty one. So eighty yeah. was my last football season uh, as as a JMU student and, and a member of the of the Breeze staff. Now Man, the 82 game, yeah, I was not there, but obviously heard about it very quickly without social media, without <laughs> cell phones. 
but you know Gary Clark's two re return touchdowns and you know still to this day live in JMU lore and it was a very rough start to George Welsh's coaching tenure and of course he ends up being a, a hall of famer and probably was even before he set foot on grounds because he had done so well <clears throat> at Navy previously but in very reminiscent of Bronco Mendenhall's first game as a Virginia coach when they got spanked by Richmond and then he of course went on to turn the program around so even even if James Madison wins Saturday I would encourage Virginia fans not to get too down too quickly on Tony Elliott and his staff and, and to give them a little bit of a chance. Yeah, especially if you've got uh musket unable to go. That's a that's a tough spot to be in if you got Clark. Right. And, and with Jay Wolfolk off playing baseball. <laughs> right. And right. And you're left with, with the true freshman Anthony Calandria. Yeah. Interesting quarterback matchup on both sides with the Dukes bench. Right, yeah. I, <laughs> did, you, you guys are, are, are far more plugged in than I am. That was one short leash that Signetti had on Alonzo Barnett, right? It was quick. I think he was. He compared it afterward to a, a golfer with the yips, essentially, where he just couldn't make any throws even when the guys were wide open. Well, and – you know, I guess it was trending. It, it was trending that way throughout preseason camp, but as as successful as the program and Signetti have been with transfer quarterbacks, yeah. with experienced quarterbacks, I think we all six months ago, if made to project, would have said McLeod starts. Right? I think even six weeks ago, we would have. Okay, okay. Like up until maybe the second week of fall camp. I was fully, fully yeah. on McLeod. And then as reports started coming out, and then, of course, when Signetti makes that announcement and everything, I was kind of shocked. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a surprise. He, I think his final game at South Florida a couple of years back, he threw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns against UCF. So he, McLeod certainly seemed like a guy who would, would make sense. But I guess they like Barnett's talent, but if – it didn't translate against Bucknell. Yeah. So a quick, a quick, <laughs> quick change hook. indeed. Yeah. And, and McLeod was, was effective. What was he seven for 11 and threw and threw the deep touchdown pass yeah. to Reggie Brown. Yeah. 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 Sounds like he, uh, I guess doesn't show it in practice always, which is another very <laughs> interesting dynamic, but right. <laughs> because how, how do you, as a coach preach to your team, you must practice well to earn your starting job. <laughs> And, and then have your QB1, you know, st stink it up in practice. But we're running him out there on game day because, boys, on Saturday, he's a ball. Fascinating. And then I think Jack and I are both interested because he said Barnett was getting first-team reps in camp uh, since the second day. So their starter against UVA was essentially with the second team for, for all of camp. I don't know exactly what the, the chemistry will look like with the first-team receivers, but, but we'll find out on Saturday. <laughs> We will, and I, I think I think JMU is going to try to run it uh, repeatedly. Yeah. It's going to be a it, slog. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be a slog against that defensive line. But David, thank you so much for taking the time out of your night and chatting some JMU UVA football, some Virginia football. Uh, I know we appreciate it a ton, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.
Going from one guest right into another, we are joined by Preston Willett now to dive more into the specific matchups happening across this JMU-UVA game. And Preston, I just have to ask real quick, I know Bennett was curious, where are you staying? <laughs> where am I staying? <laughs> from uh, when, when... Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the, I get the... it. I got it. Yeah, that's a that's a deep inside joke there a for everyone. Deep inside joke for Preston. I just want to start. say real real quick. How dare y'all have me follow David Teal? That's just <laughs> not fair. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're we're going back on the schedules. It almost was him following you, so it, it just switched. That, Preston, that would have been better. I would have been gone. <laughs> Preston worked at CBS nineteen for six years, I believe. Six years yeah. covering UVA, but then also the local high schools, which have some some UVA players. So we're excited to have you on. You have some great insights, and you could argue that you know you're a very close friend of me and Jack. So um, <laughs> arguably best friends. So, <laughs> some make the argument. Yeah, <laughs> we did eat at one restaurant once in Charlotte, and uh, one of the best restaurants. That was a fantastic, <laughs> yeah, great meal. ACC Media Day what was it? Oh, yeah. Men's basketball, yeah. women's basketball. Men's- one of the, in, in between, yeah. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. A good time. But we've got UVA JMU. We're excited about it. I think the the one question I have that, that really stands out is that Malachi Fields, wide receiver for UVA, local kid. Mm-hmm. I think he played quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, in high school. But he's like 6'4", yep. 220. He can fly. Looked great against Tennessee. Seems like a matchup nightmare. What can you tell us about the UVA wide receiver? Well, he could now put a sentence together. I interviewed him the first time <laughs> his sophomore year. It's his first start at quarterback for Monticello High School, which just down the road from UVA in Charlottesville. And he couldn't put more than one or two words together. And I joked with him a couple of weeks ago in fall camp about it. And he was like, yeah, everyone you know, still calling me like, you know, it's good or whatever, something like that. Uh, but he's, he's a great young guy. Uh, known him for a long time. But yeah, gosh, I mean, the guy looks like an NFL wide receiver, doesn't he? 6'4", 220. And you're watching that Tennessee game, you're just like throwing the ball. Like, I know Tennessee's got some great defensive players out there, but just throw it up for him. Like, just see what he can do. And, you know, at times, obviously, the offensive line didn't allow for that to happen. So uh, it'd be interesting to see. But he's it's been a long kind of journey for him. You know, the UVA offer was kind of a surprise towards the end there. You know, he played quarterback all – all four years of high school and, you know, eventually got on and, you know, played, played receiver at UVA. I think Marcus Hagens actually is the one that kind of discovered him there in town and uh, eventually gave him that offer to go to UVA. But yeah, really, really good guy with a really good future ahead. So is Fields at this point, the emergency quarterback in case anything happens (laughs) with the quarterback situation for UVA at this point, or I, I don't know if I'd go that far. They got, they got a couple walk-ons and whatnot (laughs) behind him. Uh, It's not great. Uh, One of their other scholarship quarterbacks got switched to safety. Another scholarship quarterback got switched to wide receiver. So they really just cut down that quarterback (laughs) room. Kind of a tough timing for that with <laughs> with, <laughs> with Musket a little banged up. We've talked, I think, with Greg Padilla a little bit about Tony Musket. We did not talk a lot about uh, Calandria, Anthony That Calandria. was our mistake. That was our yeah. mistake on it. We should have foreseen this. Well, let's make I, up for that mistake. <laughs> I think we could have maybe foreseen it given UVA's offensive line struggles. Musket, I feel like, was honestly impressive. He didn't get hurt in, until that late in the game. He was taking so many hits. Uh, but but Calandria, I know they they like his his moxie and, and what can you tell us about about him as a true freshman? 
Yeah, Moxie, Florida Swagger. Yeah, you know, they use all those kind of <laughs> adjectives about him. And I mean, he kind of like I don't know if y'all. I just watched that Johnny Manziel documentary. It kind of reminds me a little bit of that. Hopefully, not the off the field stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a whole other issue. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. And he's he's super confident guy. And kind of everyone they the thing they say is like he came in, he had a handshake with everyone on the team, but. Yeah, they keep using these words like he was pushing Tony Musket and, you know, he had a great spring game and, you know, he's really kind of come in and learned the offense pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I wouldn't take much of what we saw in that little cameo against Tennessee. Like they're already getting pounded by that defensive line. The offensive line couldn't block for much. And uh, I think Calandria, he's, they like him a lot. He's got some potential that spring game. Gosh, did you see it? He had some of that potential. Uh, but you know, playing in a division one college football game, that's a whole other story, but you know, he's an interesting guy because like, you know, undersized, a little smaller, you know, doesn't weigh that much, but you know, he's got moxie <laughs> that word, here we go back to that word. And, uh, I think he's, he's good enough to start at this level, but I think they would rather have Tony Musket out there, especially because some of the throws that we saw from Tony Musket last week, when he had more than two seconds, you know, to actually throw the ball. Yeah, the the group that's tasked with defending whoever or protecting whoever is back there at quarterback. What is the thing that kind of makes them not great at the sport of football? <laughs> I, I don't think you could have worded that any better. <laughs> it's It's tough because, you know, I mean, Bennett will remember, like, back, you know, they were trying to build up this offensive line yeah. for years when they Bronco Mendenhall and, you know, the previous offensive line coach and Garrett Tuge, and they finally got it to a point where they had, you know, five seniors across the offensive line. They had some good depth behind them. They had some good recruits coming in, and then all those guys left. And, I mean, you could say they transferred, but really most of them were seniors anyway, so you weren't supposed to have them. It just COVID allowed you to have them for another year if they wanted to come back. Um, and, and so then you're just kind of, you're going to restart at some point anyway. And so when was that going to happen? And I actually like the new offensive line coach, Terry Heffernan. He comes from Stanford, worked for the Buffalo Bills for a little bit too. So he has that NFL background. Um, there's some potential on that line. Did it show against Tennessee? Absolutely not. But, you know, and some guys are playing out of position right now. You got Anana as a transfer, the guy from Houston. He's playing outside a tackle. He's supposed to be inside as a guard. And you can see a couple times because he was the one getting beat for sacks constantly. You could see he's almost trying to block as like a guard and guys were just spinning past him inside. So, yeah, I think there's some it, – There's it's going to be a long season for those guys. If they can give them anything like they did in that second half of that touchdown drive that they had where they running the ball up and down the field, if they can give them something like that, then, you know, they might have an okay season. That makes sense. I think the the thing that excites me too about this game, you have a lot of conversation about quarterback where JMU's probably breaking in a new guy. UVA could be, but there's another position, a position that no one's talking about, but they should be. If you say punter, it's punter. Oh, this this has the possibility of being a punter showdown. JMU got a transfer punter who's an all Sun Belt caliber player. But what can you tell us about? UVA's punter, who I believe you have started a Heisman campaign for. I, I think we're all starting the Heisman campaign right here, <laughs> right now. Uh, I mean, like, he's just – he's the only guy that was getting all ACC consideration for this team before the season. 
You know, so Daniel Sparks, we'll say the number. Yeah, yeah, four Heisman. He's going to win the Heisman <laughs> this year. Um, Pat McAfee will drive the Heisman on uh, college game day. That's we know true. that That's much. Yeah. That's actually a but, fantastic uh, point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he's he's good, and he's gotten better. You, know, you saw that he had a lot of opportunities to punt on on Saturday, and we saw that, you know, get the ball inside the 10. But, you know, there's a couple times where he was out kicking the coverage, as they like to say, and, uh, we'll use it in the actual sense of the word, not the metaphor for what the other words connotations of it mean. But yeah, you know, so I mean, special teams might have been the bright bright spot for UVA on, on the on Saturday, but you know that wasn't saying too much. Yeah, he hits nukes. I'm excited because because <laughs> JMU's punter had a great game. I think he had three punts and averaged like 49 yards a punt. Yeah. If the quarterback don't, struggle, this don't is get be a up to go. Yeah. Don't get up to go to the concession stand when those two guys are on the field. It's going to be electric. I leave mean, it, his his last name is Sparks. I mean, true electricity. Yeah, <laughs> leave it. Leave it to you guys for uh, geeking out on punters here. Um, really glad that they got the. Sh- Do you guys want to talk about long snappers next? Maybe holders. We can sprinkle in there as well, or just focusing just on us. Okay, I can tell punters. you their name. I cannot tell you anything <laughs> about what they do. <laughs> I, at this point, I don't think I could even tell you JMU's long snapper, and apparently it was a heated competition throughout camp. So, <laughs> you know, here at Jamie Sports News Podcast. Step, we love aside, step yeah. aside quarterbacks, yeah. long snappers. We, I know we have two inexperienced quarterbacks potentially playing, or maybe one who, who, who knows, but we care about the punters here. Yeah. But – um, on a serious note, the defensive line for UVA was giving Tennessee fits all day. Um, wh- what do they do well, and how can they attack an experienced JMU offensive line? What they do really well is that they've been around college football for four, five, ten years. Isn't, you know, isn't there like a twenty-six or twenty-seven-year-old on that team, like on the on the defensive line? Like my there's some old guys. Point? There's some old guys on that defensive line. You look at Camp Butler, Paul Akiri, They both got. I think six years to come back to UVA Chico Bennett, who we haven't seen yet. Cause he's battle injury. You know, they said that he's back in practice this week. We'll see if he suits up for Saturday, but uh, you know, he's a guy that's been around for five years or so. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, Jameer Carter's been around for a while. Uh, Aaron Fomui has been around for a while. So it's just a ton of experience that they have on that line. Uh, and I think that's really one of the best things that they got going for them is that experience uh, and the, a lot of bodies that they're out there. Now they lost Sua Gunloye, who was probably the MVP of the first quarter for UVA because uh, something about coconut and cork. I don't know if y'all saw this, the, the new field in Nashville, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. cork and coconut, you know, on the field instead of like his old t- tires and he slipped coming off the field celebrating. And I guess, injured both knees at the same time <laughs> that stinks i saw he's that. out he's out for the season it's it's sad because he's a good guy and he's been around for a while it's finally getting an opportunity but you know they got some more guys behind them so depth and experience is the is the major things that they've got going for them yeah that's uh that was an unfortunate injury because he he made a great play and darn coconuts got the nonsense turf quote put that on a <laughs> put that on a t-shirt darn coconuts <laughs> Jack, you got anything else? Um, score prediction. We haven't asked any of our guests yet about the JMUVA score prediction. <laughs> yes. And I feel like we've been a failure as a podcast for not asking this. <laughs> for putting you on the spot. Mind you, you are on a JMU podcast. Uh, JMU is a touchdown Mind, favorite. Minding that. <laughs> so uh, maybe you don't want to make enemies. <laughs> I don't know. A touchdown favorite on oh, the I'm, road? I would take UVA plus seven, but I would take JMU Moneyline, but this isn't a yeah. podcast. 
sponsored I, by Bet Online. I was I was surprised by that. Yeah, like I know everyone doesn't think UVA's got anything going on, but I like they showed some stuff against Tennessee. Like, I mean, and Jamie uh, showed nothing against Bucknell. So yeah, it was, it's, it's <laughs> maybe that's the strategy. Line. So, <laughs> so are we getting uh, a prediction? Yeah, you're taking yeah, the dude. <laughs> Yeah, let me think this one through. Uh, I'm gonna go 31-28 UVA. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Okay. That would that would kind of be a disappointing score for our punter theory. But, yes, uh, but I hear you. <laughs> yes, it would be. You're right. You know what? Uh, three to nothing. The punter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, perfect. The punter I, actually kicks hope- the field goal. I'm just hoping. So this week will be my first game attending as just sitting in yes. the stands, and so I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure how to like do that. I haven't done that since I was like in high school, probably. So it's going to be a different feeling. I'm just hoping we don't get a, a redo of last year's UVA Miami game. I don't know if y'all remember that one. That was bad. It was a yeah. five overtime thriller that uh, they, no one ever reached the end zone. So. <laughs> 14 to 12. What well, I guess there are a bunch of like two point conversions when you get into the later overtimes or whatever. It was. There was one two point one. conversion. Okay. Yeah. Mostly field yeah. goals. It was mostly, I think, was it three overtimes or is it two overtimes for field goals? All I know is that highlight package. We got to know the overtime been, rules, guys, just in case. That, that highlight package must have been elite. <laughs> It's bad. The comment section, they do like <laughs> ACC or whoever. They always do those like condensed game highlights. They're like 20 minutes long. <laughs> I've watched that one. The comments are, are very good. It it actually turned out to be long at first when I was sitting down to cut it together. And then I was just like, what am I doing? Like, no one wants to see this. Like, let's just cut and get to the good part at the end. Uh, I just, the only part I remember is I was on the opposite side and having to sprint down the sideline when they're changing over going into the whatever overtime yeah. to get a new battery because we've been out there forever. <laughs> ah, man. Hopefully there's not a repeat of that game. Yeah, that's a hoping, hoping it crossed. won't be, but should be a good one, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Preston. Yeah. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. And uh, I'll be staying uh, right here in, in my home <laughs> just outside Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, Bennett Bennett will ask about 14 more times between <laughs> now and, and kickoff. So Yeah, if we see you on Saturday, I'll be asking. <laughs> Which I, I know. I need to see where where are y'all sitting. Oh gosh, Somewhere where are we sitting? Somewhere. 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 I, I, yeah. I don't even remember. <laughs> Our friend Brian bought us the tickets, and then right. so we just kind of put him in charge because the whole buying tickets experience. I think Bennett was struggling with. Yeah, the right. the well, we'll find... ticketing website is was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> Trying to like zoom in on my phone on where it was was crazy. Yeah, I switched the stuff up. Someone gave me that tip because, again, I haven't yeah. had to buy tickets from right. UVA in six <laughs> years. Fair point. Fair so point. Uh, I was like, how do I do this? But should be good. Appreciate the time, Preston. Yeah. See you guys. Bye. Epic amounts of interviews here at the JMU Sports News Podcast. I feel ready for this game. Um, Preston's, what was it, 31-28 prediction? Uh-huh. I'm a little upset that he came on a JMU Sports News podcast and picked the other team. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. Some great insights from David Teal on all of Virginia. So let's let's start diving into a little JMU UVA and some Bucknell talk. Yeah, of course. Let's start it with everyone's favorite segment. Are you ready for this segment? Yes. Let's start things off with News or Snooze presented by Christopher William Jewelers. Bennett will give me three quotes. I'll tell you if they're newsworthy or snoozeworthy, 
He's been hitting the nail on the head these last few weeks, giving me tons of newsworthy quotes. What's your first quote of the News or Snooze segment presented by Christopher William Jewelers? Heard Signetti met with the media on Tuesday night, so this is, is yesterday. He says, because of the heat, we've had to push practice back tonight to seven. Got to adjust and improvise. We've got about five guys who have class night that I guess were, were missing practice because um, the heat, they're, they're changing the schedule. Is that news that they have to move it around or snooze? You know what was news? Them not tackling all fall camp because they were using Bucknell as a third scrimmage. So I'm going to say this is snooze-worthy. Yeah. Um, he didn't seem too scared about it, but what was newsworthy was that they didn't tackle all fall camp. This is snooze-worthy. Yeah, I wanted to make sure there was one snooze. We've been doing a lot of news, so I thought this was kind of a snooze as well. But somewhat interesting that they're it is. That it's so hot this week that they had to move some stuff around. But anyway, all right, number two. This is Kurt Signetti on Jordan McLeod. He has performed better in the scrimmages than he does in practice. <laughs> Thank you for including this one. I sent it to you. You probably yes. already had it bookmarked. Um, I'm going to say this is snooze-worthy because he's the QB1. So, like, it doesn't matter at this point. He showed out in the game. He balled out. I think we, what we can call him is a baller. He's not a practice player, but you turn on the lights or you put him on the big field in Scott Stadium, he's going to ball out. Uh, but this is snooze-worthy. I think Signetti, though, may not like Jordan McLeod. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a second. <laughs> Here's also Kurt Signetti. I still have total confidence in Alonzo Barnett. I don't think what he put out on the field on the game field Saturday night was indicative of what he's capable of doing. Next time he's in that situation, hopefully this experience, he can make the adjustments he needs to make sure he can play like we've all seen him play. News. That is extremely newsworthy because you know what that tells me? He fully plans on starting Alonzo Barnett at some point this season. If Jordan McLeod has a stinker of a game, or heck, we saw it, a stinker of a half, he will not hesitate to put Barnett back in. This is exactly the opposite of what Stephen Hamner of QB Spotlight said a few weeks ago, was that when you're in a quarterback competition, you need to have the winner just get a long leash. Hella short leash with Alonzo Barnett, and with these comments, it seems like Jordan McLeod is going out there with an extremely short leash as well. Newsworthy quote. True or false? In, well, I guess this is opinion, so this would be your opinion on on my statement that I'm about to make, but, but true or false. I think that Kurt Signetti. Wouldn't it be agree or disagree? Agree or disagree. Yeah. That would make, Cause then <laughs> yeah. Gosh, what am I talking about? <laughs> agree or disagree. Kurt Signetti. I'm under the impression that Kurt Signetti believes that Alonzo Barnett is the best quarterback on JMU's roster, but he can win with both the first two guys. I don't agree that Barnett right now in the current state of the game Barnett is the best quarterback on the roster, but I agree yeah. with your statement that you think Signetti thinks that. <laughs> what a what a clear segment I've created. <laughs> wow, that was awesome. I just think that he like st I think he still thinks that Alonzo Barnett would be the better of the two quarterbacks, but he's obviously not going to play someone against UVA who goes three of eleven for fifteen yards and has the yips against Bucknell. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I think he's upset because he knows in his mind. I'm putting yes. quotes around knows for the podcast listeners. He knows Barnett's better, but Barnett didn't perform in the game, and McLeod did. I think he's put himself in this extremely sticky situation where he's this coach that preaches competition. He's this coach that preaches all of these things. Whoever's the best player goes out and plays. That's what he did with Barnett being 
you know, a baller throughout camp. He went out there and he played over this transfer with two years of eligibility from a power five school. But then you can't see what McLeod did and not start him against UVA. That would be, you know, completely against everything that you've preached throughout your entire time as the JMU head coach, um, which is why I think McLeod is starting. Yeah, I think the other thing with Barnett, I'm still excited to see him play at some point again because uh, they, they kind of compared it Signetti did to the Yips, which a lot of golfers have overcome and a lot of other players have overcome. Like if he's actually as good as they say he is in practice, one day I do think that'll show up on the field. At the same time, we've watched like Jordan McLeod play at other schools. He's a good quarterback. Like I feel very confident yeah. in what he can do. I think they're going to be able to game plan around him. I'm a little, still a little concerned because it's like he was QB two during camp and he only had some reps against Bucknell. But like, if you start McLeod and by the time we get into like October and he goes up against some of these, to be honest with you, relatively softer defenses in Georgia Southern and Old Dominion and Georgia State. Obviously, Marshall's a little bit different, but like some of those games later in the year, the defenses don't scare me at all. And I think McLeod could play at a pretty good level in those. So I am excited for what McLeod will look like moving forward. Yeah, offensive player of the year. It starts right here, right now. Hey, well, I mean, why not? His first game ended up being pretty decent, right? Four drives, 144 yards, two touchdowns, passing touchdowns, scored touchdowns on three of those drives. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. All right, where do you want to go from here? Could do some listener questions. Hit me. Let's do it. Dom had a series of questions for us. Should we start with Dom? Sure. Okay, I'm pulling them up. But we we got some listener questions, which is good. It's good to see listener questions. We're not always getting these. Uh, I have some questions for you later about your Sunbelt power rankings. Oh, I'm so excited for those. You have... um, you have, I'm trying to find the questions. You have Troy at, here we go. This is great podcasting. Three is unbelievable. Listener okay, let's questions. With, let's start with Dom. This, this goes to Jordan McLeod. He said, what should our expectations of McLeod be? And the follow-ups are multiple touchdowns and a ton of yards. Is it okay for him to be a game manager? And do you draw any conclusions from Jordan McLeod's performance against Bucknell? What do you think? Can you ask me those one by one, please? Expectations of McLeod against UVA. Um, I think he'll go out there, and I think the second one was kind of like a game manager type of thing. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. I think if he goes out and doesn't commit any atrocious turnovers that hurt, um, and he is kind of a game manager, I don't think UVA's offense will be able to put up more than 21 points. Maybe I'm being a little bit too um, – maybe I'm buying too much into the JMU defense – but I, I don't think UVA's offense will be able to move the ball that easily. So if McLeod can go in there, they're going to want to run the ball. They're going to run and run and run and run again. So when McLeod has those stacked boxes, will he be able to take advantage of those opportunities? And will be will he be able to not have a back-breaking interception late in the game, a fumble, a bad read, a sack that's taken on second and seven that makes it you know third and 15? If he can avoid the mistakes and be a game manager, JMU should have enough to win. JMU talks kind of a lot of of trash, like online fans in terms of like scoffing at Brent Pry when he says Virginia Tech's the flagship flagship school in the state. Um, there's there's a lot of, of JMU fans who are like, we're the best team in the state. Kirk Sinetti goes on, what is it, the Jim Rome show last year? It says our goal is going to be college football playoffs moving forward. Like – if you want to you be at that level, right, you want to be an elite college football team, you have to beat 
weak UVA, maybe without a starting quarterback. So like yes. for, for McLeod, like you don't need to be a, a world beater probably. Like if Musket can't go, you better have a defense that's good yeah. enough to take advantage of a terrible offensive line and Anthony Calandria in his first career start. Yeah, if McLeod goes out there and Musket's not going on the other side, McLeod can go out there, throw for 150, maybe pass for a touchdown. And that should be enough to win. Assuming the run game can get a little bit of something going and maybe rush for another 150. But like, you don't need to go out there and do what you did in four drives against Bucknell. Yeah, it's it's not one where like you have to win pretty. Like, I don't know. This is one that the way JMU views itself as a program, like respectfully, you got to win this game. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just feels like one where regardless of McLeod or, or Barnett, like game management at quarterback seems like it should be enough to get it done. Yeah. What's the next listener question? This is from Meerkat. It's underscore Meerkat underscore 1457. Do you think our secondary can keep up with receivers like Malachi Fields? What synergy? Talking about Malachi Fields earlier with Preston, now bringing him up in the listener questions. Yeah, I, I have hope in this secondary. From what I saw, granted, Bucknell, also Bucknell's catches, some of them were like insanely talented grabs like along the sideline that were better catches than they were over better defense, if you know what I mean. Um, with that being said, I think Jamie's secondary will do enough. I think their front seven matters more. Their front four matters a whole heck of a lot more because if you're getting to Musket or Calandry within two seconds, they won't have time to look down the field to Malachi Fields and the secondary won't have to do much. Yeah. For a Chauncey Logan supporter like myself, Chauncey's got to show it this weekend. Like if he's on Malachi Fields, that's a, a big time matchup. Let's, let's see what he's got. I, I agree with you that like, is the secondary one-on-one going to win a ton of battles with Malachi Fields? Probably not. But like, how many times are they really going to have a clean pocket to throw it one-on-one to Malachi Fields? I think that's the bigger question. If the front seven can get home, it, it changes the game. Yeah, for sure. All right, last question from Drizzy Dalton 87 Other than the D-line, what other position group worries you on the UVA side? And it says, luckily, our strength uh, is offensive line, so hopefully that balances out. I like that point because it is true. One of our JMU's biggest strengths is offensive line. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that does balance it out. But I do think UVA's defensive line still worries me, and I still think they will get theirs. Um, with that being said, probably just like every other unit on their defense, their defense looked pretty darn good against Tennessee. Maybe that's because that front seven, that front four was looking really good. But the the defense overall for UVA looks like a very, very solid group um if you want like another answer probably wide receivers but that doesn't worry me too much because i don't think uva's offensive line will be able to give their quarterbacks time yeah i like their running back room too they've got some good players there i think uva like outside of the offensive line and with tony musket at quarterback is a decent like borderline bowl team uh but to answer the question i don't think any of them should worry jmu right like jmu's got guys on its roster so i i would say they've got some strengths i don't think if you're a jamie fan you should be overly like wow we can't match like you can match up with them in every position group jamie's also a seven point favorite for a reason like yeah it does seem high considering it's a jamie team that struggled against bucknell going on the road against uva but you know what that line tells me not that jmu is this world beater it tells me Vegas has no faith in UVA. 
Yeah, you look at like UVA's power rankings on like advanced metrics, very low. FAMU significantly higher. Uh, you look at the line at like six or seven, kind of depending where you are. If the game's in Harrisonburg, they're like a double-digit favorite. Yeah, which is insane. So like they have a better roster. Like I truly believe they have a better roster. If and Musket, a better coach. I think there's a fair point there. If Musket can't go, they've got a way better roster that's going to be on the field. So I don't know, like... Again, it's one where I think it's a massive opportunity and JMU has a legit chance to get it done. Yeah. And that brings us into, we'll, we'll kind of hit on a few things as we do this preview, but just an overall three-notch weekly preview. The Dukes head to Charlottesville. JMU, we've touched on it. We had two guests on. Awesome stuff from them. Uh, you can check it out on our YouTube or just rewind and listen back on the podcast. But they take on UVA, a struggling Cavaliers team, Head coached by Tony Elliott, I believe in his last 11 games, they only have three wins. Um, It's a team that lacks an offensive line, but it boasts one of the best defensive lines in the ACC. But they may be without their quarterback transfer from Monmouth, Tony Musket, and they may be starting a freshman in Calandria. Um, What do the Dukes have to do to win, and and what can JMU fans expect uh, this, this Saturday at Scott Stadium? I think the, the obvious thing, right, is the emotion there for Virginia. It's the first home game since the tragic shooting killed three players on their roster. So there's there's going to be a ton of emotion there, I think, on both sides where, where people understand sort of the significance of just the fact that the game is happening. So there's, there's going to be a lot of emotion managing that for both sides. It's going to be critical. And for JMU, it kind of comes down to the trenches. If you can hold your own, the offensive line for JMU against UVA's great D-line, I think you've got a tremendous chance in defensively. I think the the defensive line for JMU should be kind of licking its chops going up against a UVA offensive line that's been out of sorts for now, you know, at least over a season. Yeah. Uh, D-line depth is something I do want to touch on, and you brought up the defensive line uh, for JMU. So I want to dive into the depth. Abi, Abi, Nwabaku, Akonji. Mm-hmm. It appears, I don't think we officially heard what he did. But it appeared that he potentially tore his ACL, maybe Achilles, maybe something else. But it didn't look like a good injury when he went down. Um, wasn't really locked into a block by any means and kind of just flailed to the ground. That tells me it's something in his legs, something uh, that is season ending. Uh, and this is his last year at JMU. This is his last year of eligibility. I don't believe he'll be able to get another year. He might be able the- to get like an injury waiver, but I don't even know if that's like on the I think he's already a sixth point. year. Sometimes they give you like medical exceptions, but like probably at six, it might be, might be it. Yeah. So that may be it for his JMU career. Solomon, Va- oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Those, those injuries, never mind. We'll get to those injuries later. <laughs> the defensive line now, Kamara already was starting on both, or, or was already on the two deep on both defensive ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you have Jamri Chroma, who is a defense, starting defensive tackle listed as the backup to Kamara, where Abby, Abby was. Uh, for one of the defensive end spots. So like a lot of the starters are also backups at other spots. So I want to get your take on the defensive line depth right now, because it is a strong point that that two deep still looks really good. Yeah. But the three deep and the four deep are looking a little sketchy. I thought Amar Thomas would get on the two deep this this week as, as the backup for Kamara. Um, I think he's a redshirt freshman that I know they're high on. Kind of expected him to break in, so a little surprised that you had Chroma at both spots. Um, Signetti was asked about this uh, by Noah at the DNR in his like weekly presser, and he was pretty short and was just like, we trust the guys that we have there. 
probably a concern. Maybe not a huge concern this week, but I, I would definitely be concerned a little later in the season, especially, um, you know, last game of the year, Coastal Carolina can sling it around. App State's got a decent offense, right? You got Georgia Southern yeah. that that cooked them a little bit. So Does App State have a good offense? I think they can move the ball. I worry about their defense, but we'll see. It's, you know, in November, they might have a terrible offense. But um, I, I watched them against Gardner-Webb, so it's <laughs> their offense looks good against Gardner-Webb with the backup quarterback in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like JMU. But no, I'm a little concerned about it. Are you worried about it? Yeah, 100%. I was already a little worried about it yeah. when like we were boasting about JMU's amazing defensive line all offseason. And then the two deep comes out, and for one of the defensive end spots, the backup is the starting defensive end on the other side. In theory, you might be able to get Carpenter and Bush as your nose guard and defensive sure. tackle now, which may be able to bump Chroma out into backing up Kamara more often or even Jalen Green more often you can kind of get that rotation so I feel fine with that assuming you can do that with Carpenter and Bush I'm not 100% sure but what worries me is any type of potential injury even like like a rolled ankle and you miss a quarter while you're getting it retaped all of a sudden the the middle of your defensive line can get shredded Um, so that worries me the depth is 100% an issue but the starters I still feel very confident in if there's no injuries um, then they should do what they need to do against UVA. I think another thing just for this specific game, Tennessee ran like this. They were calling it their cheetah package, I think. They had, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name now, but it was number 27 for for Tennessee. Looked like a corner <laughs> that they were lining up, like a defensive end uh, to go against the right tackle that the UVA has that's inexperienced. He cooked him in the first half. Like it was bad multiple times. JMU against Bucknell, there were a few times on third and long when they went to a 3-3-5 and brought Aiden Fisher in. Just had three defensive linemen, added Fisher as a third linebacker. If it's a third and long, I kind of dig that because I thought Fisher flashed a little bit. I also like that take because they also run this rover. So whoever is the rover for this week can kind of come into the box and play a little bit more as like a blitzing linebacker safety. And also the play, if you said it, Aiden Fisher was really solid. We saw him a lot this game because both Taurus Jones missed time due to an injury. Jalen Walker missed some snaps due to an injury. He ran back into the locker room at one point. They both finished out the game, so it was all right. But you have a great linebacking duo. You have a rover. You have Aiden Fisher. You should have enough on the defensive kind of box area that you should do enough to kind of make up for what you missed. The depth, though, is the issue. Like If there are any injuries to that defensive line from here on out, it kind of scares me specifically because Kamara missed a good amount of time last year. So like you're relying on this guy who's already had a pretty major injury in his career. I thought he was the most impressive defensive lineman against Bucknell also. Like yeah. he's, he's like Isaac Ukwu good. He's very yeah. talented. And Daniel Merriman, who was on, on location reporting the game for us, had an awesome write up post game, but he was tweeting about, it. he said, Kamara is absolutely like impressing everyone in this press box. I forget what exactly his tweet was, but he shouted him out, but also wanted to do a quick shout out to Daniel for all of his awesome stuff. Had a fantastic post-game recap mm-hmm. uh, that really dove into the quarterback situation. He asked some fantastic questions of uh, Kurt Signetti, um, and he should be covering most of the games this season for JMU Sports News up in the press box uh, at Bridgeport. Yeah, shout out to Daniel. He did a phenomenal job. And from there, I want to talk about quarterbacks a little bit more in depth Yeah, because I want to get your take. Did Kurt Signetti set up Alonzo Barnett to fail 
I mean, they were not running easy completion. Pat, they were acting like this redshirt freshman was a redshirt senior who had started 19 games. Oh wait, that was Jordan McLeod who was his backup. Like, did it seem like they put Barnett in a really tough situation to start that game? They could have given him, I think, some some easier throws. I will say, like the interception he kind of brought on himself. Where, oh, like, one million percent. One he scrambled million. late in the play, right? Threw back like a heave that was intercepted. He had a lot of throws where dudes were like open for touchdowns that he missed that I think he probably made in camp. So from that perspective, I think some of it is is certainly on his performance. Um, and it encourages me a little bit about what they can do against Virginia, that they did have guys open that were just missed. I think looking at the two deep, though, you look at Reggie Brown, right? You got Phoenix Sproles, who only had one catch in that that first game. I think they'll get him more involved. But you got a lot of young guys that that I worry a little bit. Just the stage against UVA, it's going to be like 50,000 in that stadium. Uh, what it looks like in terms of the receivers stepping up and being able to make plays against a pretty solid and well-coached uh, Virginia defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Do you also think he set him up for failure by running five straight or six straight run plays to start the second half? Why Why did Barnett start the second half if they weren't going to throw with him? Like, why would McLeod not have gotten those extra drives? That was my thinking. That was, make any sense. Weird. that was very weird. Um, I'm trying to see. Hmm. Yeah, I have a few other notes, but we'll get on get, get to them in a little bit. Um yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because I felt like Barnett was really set up in a tough spot to start that game. I don't know. If, if I'm the coach, I'm running like screen passes or like very easy completions sure. like for the first five pass plays to get my quarterback like four for five, 25 yards and just feeling like they're in the rhythm of the game. Instead, it was like wheel routes with the crosser that you can look off to see if you can hit Kalon Black running up the sidelines. That was a and, weird one. And it's just yeah. like there were a few times Barnett missed the read that was open because he was yeah. kind of locked on the first read, but man, were those first reads difficult? He also, um, he had five carries for 29 yards and ran it pretty well. I'm surprised. Very well. they, surprised. They didn't just go in and start doing like zone read, zone read, zone read just to get him sort of in the groove. And obviously when he Kalon, scored the touchdown, I thought they had, yeah, I thought so too. Cause Kalon black also had a great game, 12 carries, 125 yards. I thought Palmer looked very good. He looked maybe a little bit faster than in years past. Uh, Lawton four carries. He looked very good. I'm stoked about the the running back. Super bummed about Van Horse. Super bummed about Van Horse. He injured the foot he injured last year. He is out for season. Yeah. Um, he has another year of eligibility left, but uh, yeah. Signetti said he's not sure if he'll use it at this point. Um, and they said in the post in the in the press conference yesterday that they were planning to use Van Horse a lot in the offense this year and. Signetti loved him in the punt return game, which you could see. I know it was Bucknell, but that was an explosiveness from the punt return game that I haven't seen since D'Angelo Amos was balling back there in the FCS days. But um, yeah, that that's tough too because Virginia was not very good at punt coverage last year, I don't believe, and they were not very good against Tennessee. They gave up like three returns for ninety yards. So yeah. Surratt will be back there. Josh Surratt, hopefully he can make a cheese. Cheese, hopefully cheese can make a couple plays because I feel like the return game. Uh, Sparks was absolutely out kicking his coverage a few times in that game. He kills it, but if you hit it, you know, Hopefully your, we don't your gunners it. aren't anywhere near there. Hopefully we don't muff it. Yeah, just catch the punts is obviously an important part as well. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to dive into? There's Maureen. one last question that I want to wrap everything up with, but I want to see if there's anything you want to dive into here. 
I'm curious your perspective on on how this game will frame the rest of the season because I find myself maybe overly excited um, in the sense where we talked with David Teal and he was bringing up the Virginia Tech win was followed by a rather disappointing season. This is one that I feel like I, as a fan, really want. Like I know that Troy is a better team. Coastal, based on what they did against UCLA at the end of the year, probably a better team than UVA. There might be a lot of Sunbelt teams on the schedule that are better than Virginia. But God, I I just want JMU to win the game against an in-state Power 5 team to get a little more regional respect in terms of like how fans discuss them, in terms of uh, the media coverage would be cool. Like, I just really want them to win and sort of validate all of our feelings that JMU is a legitimately good football team, which is stupid that you have to beat like a bad power five team to, to do that. But I agree. And I, I think maybe I'm in the minority here. I'm not expecting a bowl game at the end of the year. Yeah. Th- this, that's not a guarantee at all. This is my bowl game. I could not care less if Jamie goes out and wins this game by two or three possessions and just like dominates UVA and then they go 500 the rest of the way or like a game or two below 500, I would be upset, but I'd be like, we beat UVA. I mean, the men's basketball season, we don't, we don't care that nothing happened after that game. We beat UVA. I just need JMU to beat UVA. I would love to do it in a dominating fashion. Um, That'd be so much fun. And the other the other part is like the men's basketball season, I got a little sad at the end, but you're right. Like at the end of the year, it's like, okay, we still beat Virginia. That was sweet. The part that gets me excited is like, what if they beat UVA and then go like nine and three? Like if it's a good year and they have this game, it's like a you know, national arrival. I just it puts them in a spot where it's it's exciting about what the future could be if they go out and show what they're capable of and then continue that. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, And before we finish up with a few last things, it's time for everyone's second favorite uh, segment behind news or snooze. There's the rock and roll music. It's time for the Sunbelt Pick'em folks. This week we are starting. Oh wait, we should say this. Jack leads. I lead. That's big for you. I'm up 10-3 over 9-4 and four Bennett. I am so pumped. I think it's the first time in like two years I hold a lead in the Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em. And I'm going to look to keep it going this week. Troy, we'll save for the JMU game for last. Troy, Kansas State. Bennett, who do you got? I'll take Kansas State in this game. Uh, but I like Troy to cover the 16.5 points. Not that that's what we do. But um, Troy, their first game looked a little shaky. That's because they had four turnovers that I don't think that's going to show up again. I think they're going to hang in this game here, but I do think Kansas State's a safer pick, so I'll take it. Doesn't it speak a little bit to the type of team Troy is if they have four turnovers against a Stephen F. Austin I think there were some fluky fumbles in there. First game of the year, they'll figure that out. All right, I'm also going Kansas State because I'm not a full believer in Troy just yet. Texas State, UTSA. Um, Sneaky great game. I'm going to pick this game before you do. I'm going Texas State. Texas State, they beat Baylor. Good for them. I think they're going to get blown out by UTSA. I think that was a little bit of a 
a flash in the pan, but still still good for the Sun Belt at the very least to be. Yeah, good. I think G G J Kinney. I'm, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, looks like a good hire. Looks like Texas State finally got a good hire. Marshall, East Carolina. East Carolina, they don't know what offense is. Marshall, coincidentally, also doesn't know what offense is. This could be a low-scoring, ugly affair. Who do you got? I'm not going to pick a team that kicked a last-second field goal to only lose by 27 to not get shut out against Michigan. Um, so I will take Marshall to win this game. I'm going to take ECU. The Fighting Mike Houston's. The Fighting Mike Houston's. Marshall's offense is worse than ECU's. Marshall was down to Albany at the half, and they won just by four points, 21-17. Marshall might be very bad on offense. Their defense is still good, but Marshall's offense may be worse than last year's. Yeah, they were just grinding out wins last year. We'll see if they can actually sustain that this year. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana against South Alabama. I think we, I, I, know, I know what we both are picking here. Yeah, both South Alabama, but gosh, what a letdown against Tulane. They got smoked. Uh, it was closer than the final score indicated. The Pratt cooked them. Okay, that was, Pratt that was did. Bad. Especially considering South Alabama was like one of the best defenses a year ago. That was bad. The offense looked good, though. That's fair. App State UNC. App State tackling against Gardner Webb. I watched that game on mute on uh, ESPN plus for a little bit. I thought that there were like whistles that were stopping plays because that's how bad their tackling was. Like it seemed like guys would just hold up and not tackle. And I was like, Oh, there must be like a fan on the field or something. No, they're, they're just bad at tackling. So I think North Carolina is going to, going to beat up pretty easily. I wonder if like JMU, they too did not tackle all fall camp. Um, I think, I think UNC and Drake may is going to hang another 60 on them. Uh, on Saturday, that's a 4:15 kick on chat at in Chapel Hill, UAB Georgia Southern. The Fighting Trent Dilfers go up against the Fighting Clay Heltons. I'll take the Clay Heltons. I kind of think Georgia Southern might be good. I think so too. I was doing the power rankings. They're only eighth in our latest edition of the power rankings over on JamieSportsNews.com. But with that being said, they still shut out the Citadel. And that was a defense that was a liability at times last year. And I know it's just a shutout over against an FCS school where their head coach was saying that they were abysmal at football. But it is still something to hang up a goose egg on the scoreboard. Jamie, you couldn't do it against Bucknell. So I think Southern may have a respectable defense this year. Louisiana ODU. Could be a, a competitive one. I kind of like Louisiana here. I, I think ODU actually played pretty well to, to hang within like 20 of Virginia Tech, I just I don't think they're that good. I I don't either. I'm on Louisiana as well. Jacksonville State Coastal. I uh, love Coastal here. I think they bounced back from the UCLA loss, which was a, a decent performance. They missed a ton of opportunities to win that one. Yeah, I didn't think that Coastal loss to UCLA was actually that bad. All things considered, you're traveling out west to Pasadena. You've never made that trip before. Really solid showing out of them. Wish they could have pulled out the win. Um, but back-to-back -back years, a Sunbelt team has gone out. To Pasadena, back-to-back -back years, they've lost. Uh, Memphis, Ar I'm picking Coastal. I don't know if I said that. Memphis, Arkansas State. Memphis here, Arkansas State. What are you doing? Um, 73 to zero, and your coach was crying on the sidelines. Next, UConn, <laughs> Georgia State. Georgia State's going to win this one. Everyone's on the UConn hype train. I think Georgia State uh, has a, a more consistent showing in this game. I'm really upset you picked Georgia State there because I thought that's where we would differ. We've differed once. I thought we had another difference there. Um, I'm on Georgia State too. Their defense is bad. 
but their offense is much better. Lamar, ULM. ULM, baby. Nice win over Army. I think they keep it rolling and, and start 2-0. And Southern Miss, Florida State. I'm also ULM. I want to pick Southern Miss pretty badly here because no, how, funny, how funny would that be? Pretty funny. Florida State wins this one. I think Southern Miss covers the like 31 point spread. Okay. I think Florida State too. JMU, UVA, give me your score prediction. I've got JMU 27 to 17. Um, I have a lot of concerns about UVA starting what would essentially be its QB3, right? With Wolf playing baseball. If Musket can't go, you got a true freshman starting in a huge spot. For them, a bunch of fans in the stands. I think JMU would stress them out and find a way to win. Even if Musket goes, I think JMU holds the edge. JMU wins 24-17. I don't think the Dukes cover if it hold, if that number holds at 7. You can check out the full betting breakdown over on JMUSportsNews.com as well. Written by Blake Pace. Fantastic article. Um, and the only way he continues to write for us if he only gives out winners. That's the right, second exactly he right. loses, uh, we exactly. told him we fire him. Um, and before we get up on out of here, I want to ask you, what does this game mean? We talked about it a little bit about like this season. If Jamie went on to have a bad season, would you still look to the UVA game? But like in the grand scheme of things, we touched on it a little bit with David Teal earlier. Um, to you, what does this game mean? I think it's massive, man. I think it means like everything it's, it's playing a team in your state that's in a conference that's, you know, better than yours, and they're supposed to be better than you. And I think the thing that would change is a lot of perception where, like, the thing I keep coming back to is there are a lot of people who, there are a lot of, like, JMU grads who root for, like, UVA and Virginia Tech. And it's just one that, like, you bring those fans back maybe. I think there are, like, kids growing up that would pay more attention to JMU if you win it. I think it's important for recruiting uh, I think it's great for the current fan base. And I, I think it's one that that just frankly matters a lot to the program if you can win it. And it's one that, like, they came so close to beating West Virginia in Signetti's first season in 2019. They hung really close with NC State in 2018. They've, they've come close since that Virginia Tech win of taking down some Power 5 teams. But if you can beat UVA, and when you probably have a better roster – I think it would mean a ton for national and regional relevance. And then God, it would be so nice because there are some UVA fans who are still kind of condescending about Jamie's program where they're like, man, I know they're okay. You know, I, I know they're decent, but like seven point favorite, that's, that's unbelievable. You know, stuff like that where it's like, no, it's not. So like if Jamie sends a statement, wins by 20, be, be crazy. Yeah. I'm a little bummed that Jamie's the favorite in this game yeah, for too. complete selfish. Cause like to us, this is an upset. Yeah. But you know we're going to tweet, what an upset from JMU if they win. You know some like sports betting nerd is going to be like, well, actually, they were favored by seven points. That'll be me. This is No, no, no. This is not a real upset. Yes, it is. We're better than we have a better football no, team. No, I know, but come on. This is an upset. No. This <laughs> changes the landscape of Virginia football. But th- that's my question is, is how much would it truly impact? I think it takes us behind tech. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And the only reason we're not above Tech is because of their history. Like, I think right here, right now, if you put us on a on a neutral site, I'm not saying in Lane Stadium because that's yeah. actually like an actual home field advantage. No offense, Scott Stadium. 
if you put us on a neutral field or in Bridgeforth, we take down Virginia Tech nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten? Well, I, I think we have a pretty good chance of winning that one, too. That's what people, JV fans, get mad about is when people are like, Virginia Tech says they're the flagship because they have a bigger brand. What a what a lame thing to talk about as a football fan. Like, is your team any good? Our brand's pretty cool. Michael Vick, you ever heard of him? It's like, that was a long time ago. Marcus Vick. Oh, wait. Frank Beamer's son has become a more relevant coach than him, right? Where it's 2023, man. Like, it's so annoying to hear the Virginia Tech fans talk about the brand or UVA be like, well, we're the best academic institution. Okay. We just want to drink beers and watch people play football. And as we've seen from this latest edition of Realignment, academics matter a whole lot to schools as they're trying to figure out which conference they're going to be in, right? Shout out Cal and Stanford who got into a nonsense because of it. But then SMU is just, they're just Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> well, anything else you got to add before we get up on out of here? I am fascinated to see how the game goes. And I think JMU fans, as Jeff Bourne said, David Teal mentioned this, very important to, of course, be courteous. I also think yes. it's a great a great chance for JMU to to make a nice little statement with a win. And I'm, I've never been more excited for a JMU football game. Make a statement. Be courteous. Eleven thirty, the pre-game yeah. um, celebration of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get into your seats early. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a dry eye in that place. I'm fully expecting to be very emotional during that time. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a great game. And then once that's over, I hope JMU wins on the field. I hope they win by three possessions. That would be absolutely fantastic. So for Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. This has been the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. Wherever you find your podcast, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to keep up to date with all of the latest happenings over on JMUSportsNews.com. See ya! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.